we're going to, Donald said this morning, you know, he looked at my notes there. He said, it says Psalms, but your verse isn't in Psalms. I'm going to get to a Psalm at the very end of this. We, we, we were in Psalm 23 and then in Psalm 91, we went verse by verse through those the past couple weeks. You know, I was talking about Psalm 91 uh, last week and and I noticed a couple of people, somebody had was posting a different Psalm 91 verse every every day on, on Facebook, and then I came in and uh, on Wednesday, and, and, and Logan and Caitlin had, had some Psalm, Psalm 91 written on their hand, and one of their students asked them if it was a tattoo, and they had an opportunity to, you know, share Psalm 91 with them. But listen, folks, I'm telling you, when we're going through these, part of, part of what we're talking about is we're talking about putting Scripture in our heart, hanging on to the Word of God, believing in the Word of God, that it has power, that it has life, it has ability to change our minds, change our situations, transform who we are. We believe in the Word of God. We put it into practice. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to get into it this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to read a couple of verses and we'll just jump, uh, jump right in. But I'm going, to, I'm going to start with Isaiah chapter 22. I want to talk to you about the key of David this morning. This is a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 22. It says, the key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. Next verse says, I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. You know that Jesus was fastened on the cross so that you and I could have security, so that you and I could have salvation. God fastened him as a nail in a secure place to the cross and the most secure place in the world. God turned everything upside down because the most hated, rejected, cast out place in the world was to be hung on a cross, but Jesus was placed there and it became the most secure place in the world for you and I. Amen. It says, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. See, you and I, we are actually vessels. We are cups, we are pitchers. God made us to be vessels to contain his glory, to contain his presence. But see, we cannot be filled with all of that goodness of our father's house and of the glory of God unless we are hanging on Jesus. Everything in our lives is centered upon Jesus. And this scripture speaks specifically to the fact that he has the key of David that he's able to open doors that no man could shut and he's able to close doors that no man can open. Now this is only mentioned one other time in scripture if you go to Revelation uh, chapter 3 verse 7. It says, "Into the angel of the church in Philadelphia, that's the, that's the church, the city of brotherly love. He says, these things says he who is holy and he who is true. Now the reason it lists Jesus as the one who is holy and the one who is true is because we live in a world of corruption and immorality. Anybody agree with that today? And there is one who is holy and there is one who remains true in a world of lies and deceit and his name is Jesus Christ. And so he's making a declaration to a broken and a wicked world. I remain to be the one that is holy in an impure world and I remain to be the one that has all truth in a world that is full of lies and deceit. And he's the one that we're hanging on. And then he mentions this. He says, he who has the key of David who opens and, who opens and no one shuts and shuts 
and no one opens. Now, Jesus, if you read in the book of Revelation, he manifests himself to seven different churches. And every one of these churches, except once, he actually has a word of correction for them. Do you know that when Jesus comes into a church, he actually speaks to that church at its level of, of understanding. He speaks to that church about where they're at. And he had a, a word of correction to every church, six out of the seven churches, except for one. And it was this church here, Philadelphia. And it was the church of brotherly love and to that church he actually revealed himself as the one who has the key of David who opens doors that no one can shut and who shuts doors that no one can open and he's talking about opening spiritual doors and I want you to understand something that in our lives every uh, uh, people talk about this all the time even when we pray don't we pray this we pray God open the right doors for me close the doors that need to be closed but it is so important that we understand that we are totally dependent upon God opening spiritual doors for us amen if, he, if he's not the one, if he does not put the key into that place in our lives and open doors, we're locked out to a lot of things that otherwise God would have us to come into. But he opens these spiritual doors and he needs to open them for us at the right time. Now, Acts 14, 27, if you put Acts 14, 27, it says, Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, I, I want you to understand something that the key of David is something that we're going to discuss. And when you think about David, we're going to open up what that key of David means. But we understand that in the Psalms, the Psalms were 150 and they uh, uh, written songs and prayers of lament, prayers of praise, prayers of thanksgiving. And there's a lot of different things going on in there. But David authored 75 of the 150 Psalms. He is he is he wrote half of them and the other half are written by other uh, different different guys and, and things like that. And some of them it doesn't have who authored them. But he wrote a hundred and hundred or he wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms that we have. And when we're reading Psalms, we understand that we're actually reading not just the Jewish prayer book, but we're reading Jesus's prayer book. Amen. There's a lot of things in the Psalms that are written directly about Jesus and many of the Psalms Jesus quoted over and over and over again in Scripture. It was his prayer book. It is what he meditated in. It's what he went to. It's what he understood. And, and there's something about this, this reality, that when we begin to understand prayer, when we begin to understand praise and thanksgiving and worship, God begins to open doors. And the door that we just read that he opened was he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And I believe that as as a church, what we need to pray into is that God would begin to open the door of faith to the people in our lives, in our community, because there are lots of people who have no belief in Jesus, who have no understanding of who he is, and they don't have the faith for true salvation, for true deliverance and freedom in Jesus. And we need to pray that that door would be open. But see, the scripture talks about a lot of different spiritual doors. If you read in Colossians chapter four, verse three and four, Paul prays this. He says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word, a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, if you, I like the King James Version. It says that he would open to us a door of utterance. Now, what in the world is that? First of all, he's saying, I want you to pray this. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of different things that we pray. But I would say that if it's written in scripture to pray something, it's probably a pretty good prayer. Would you agree? And he's saying, I want you all to be praying 
that God would open a door of utterance or a door for the word that I would be able to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, sometimes when we preach, even when I come in here on Sundays sometimes, I feel like I'm preaching and it is falling on deaf ears. That somehow our hearts are hardened, somehow our ears are dulled. Even Jesus said this. He said, hearing, you don't really understand. Even when Jesus spoke, there were times when people's hearts were hardened and God said, Jesus said, that sometimes the seed that I'm sowing, even though I'm God, it's falling on bad soil. It's getting st- uh, stolen away by Satan. It's getting stolen away by the evil one. And he's praying that God would open a door for the word to go forth in power. Because let me ask you something. How do we as Christians, and we've got to move into the place as Christians where we understand that mo- the majority of people that are going to get saved in our generation and in our time are not going to get saved in a church house. They're going to get saved because the people of God become the people of God in the community. They're going to get saved because everybody in here realizes that they might may not be in pulpit ministry, but they realize that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of them and they can bear witness to Christ and God will open a door for them to speak the Word with power to reveal the mystery of Christ. And most people say, well, I don't know the Word of God like you do, Clay. You don't have to because God will open a door and your words, no matter how simple they may be, will carry weight and carry power and the door of faith will be opened in people's hearts. And Paul's praying, we need to pray that this door would be opened. But see, how do we actually speak a word that has power, man, that, that, that can set people free from depression, that can change people's lives, that can transform their hearts? How do we actually carry a word that's going to do something like that in somebody's life? We need to pray that God would open this door. See, we got to understand that the key of David has to do with the fact we talk about it's the key of David. Now, why is it the key of David? One of the things you got to understand about David is that God says he was searching for a man that was after God's own heart. And David, he had this revelation, right? He had this revelation in a, in a, in a world where worship and sacrifice looked like bringing a bull to kill or bringing a turtle dove or shedding blood on an altar was the sacrifice. And he had this revelation. He said, Lord, I realize that it's not burnt offering and sacrifice that you want. You're not interested in killing a bunch of animals all the time. What you want is my heart. What you want is a broken heart and a contrite spirit, a heart that is full of thanksgiving and worship and brokenness and repentance that will come to you in thanksgiving and praise. And he had this revelation to the degree that he set up a tabernacle and instituted 24 seven worship and prayer. Can you imagine that? 24-7 worship and prayer. And throughout the world in our generation, this is actually happening. 24-7 prayer is happening and popping up in different places. And this is one of the reasons that we, that we have things like worship night because we believe that when a group of people come together in true praise and worship, that the atmosphere shifts. Things change in our community. Things change in our mind. Darkness is pushed back because there is power. David had this revelation and there was a key to it. There was a key that would unlock doors that he was beginning to understand, that he was beginning to see. And see, the number one key for opening doors, when you're talking about the book of Psalms, you're talking primarily about prayers. I'm telling you right now, I was reading to, uh, there's some messed up Psalms. Y'all ever read the book of Psalms, like the whole thing? Like Some of them are crazy and I love it. I love getting in the Bible and just reading crazy stuff and then asking God, God, why is this even in here? You know, go home, read Psalm 88, somebody. 
You'll be like, my Lord, that's the most depressing thing I've ever read. It is a psalm that cries out to God and basically blames God for everything. And this guy is breaking down. His name is Ethan the Ezraite. And there's no solution, no resolution. He basically says, look, Lord, you've cast me in a pit. I'm in darkness. I'm about to die. I wish I'd been dead since I was a little boy. And he said, and you are the one throwing me in this pit. You've caused all my friends to hate me and reject me. And here I am in this darkness. And it ends. And I'm thinking, Lord, why is this even in here? And he says, because the prayer book, Clay, is not about me protecting my identity. It's about, the, it's about the study of the human heart and how you all relate to me. And there are seasons in everyone's life when they don't know how to praise. They don't know how to pray. All they do is let out a complaint. And to me, I will receive that because I am secure enough to allow you to feel however kind of way you want to feel about me. And sometimes you need to read that other people are broken and hurting just as much as you you are and you can get in this prayer book and find the feeling that you are feeling any time of, the, of your life you can get in this prayer book you can find it somebody said well I don't know what to pray open the Psalms up and start reading out loud you'll find something to pray it'll teach you how to pray and see David was teaching people how to pray he was teaching people how to praise he was teaching people how to worship the very next verse though if you read in Psalm 89 is a psalm by the next guy and all of a sudden his tone shifts if you'll notice in the Psalms, people will come, and this is a lesson in your own prayer life. They'll come in the Psalms and they'll be like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Will you cast me off forever? My soul is downcast. I'm broken and I'm shattered. And then and he just keeps pouring out all this stuff. And all of a sudden, but then I came into the sanctuary where I saw the presence of God. And I heard the people of God singing praises of your faithfulness. And all of a sudden, my eyes were opened and I began to see. And something shifts. Why? Because in their, in their brokenness, in everything that was going on, they started to pour out their complaint. But they were engaging the God of all righteousness and truth. And all of a sudden, he engages them and their tone changes. The worst thing you can do is say, well, I feel bad, so I'm not going to engage God until I feel better. No, you better engage him while you're feeling the very worst. You better start to open your mouth. If you got to complain a little bit, just don't stay in the complaint. Let him start to change your heart and move something. But you got to understand the number one key, and it's a very simple key, that will open doors in every person's life is the key of prayer. That's what Psalms is all about. It's the key of prayer. You got to learn to ask Luke 11, verse 9 through 10 in the, in the Passion Translation. It says, so it is with your prayers. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll discover. Knock on heaven's door. And it will one day open for you. Every persistent person will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he needs. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. Now, I don't know why Jesus taught it so often, but when he taught about prayer, he taught about persistent prayer. And even when the Jews, I taught you about how the Jews, they would pray the Psalms and they're praying them over and over and over again. They're reciting them over and over and over again. They are persistently praying until they feel a change, until God's presence comes in, until their heart changes, until their mind changes. They're being persistent because Jesus is saying, if you will persist in prayer, that persistence will actually start to change you as you're persisting. And then all of a sudden, when your heart is changed, you get into a place where you're finally ready to receive the door that God wants to unlock for you. There's a lot of things in your life that you want and that you desire and you've prayed for it a little bit 
And God says, I would love to give you that thing, but you've not persisted in prayer and your heart is not yet ready and in the right place for you to receive what you're asking for. If I were to give it to you now, it may do more damage than it would if you were to persist in prayer and allow me to change your heart. Amen. A lot of us get in that situation. There's things that Andre and I, I've written down in prayer, man, and I've been praying. And you know, sometimes when I pray, I, sometimes when I pray, I, I believe every time I pray. Because when you pray, folks, you got to pray the prayer of faith. There's no point in wishful thinking. When you pray, you want to pray the prayer of faith. But just because it doesn't happen when you pray does not mean you stop praying. You persist because one day heaven's door is going to be open because you are using the key. And that is persistent prayer. And if it doesn't come, my faith doesn't waver because I know God is doing something else behind the scenes. And that's why my prayer has not been answered yet. Now, there are times when I pray and it comes instantly, man. I've seen God just instantly answer prayers. But when prayers are not happening, I start to question, God, what in the world, man? I've been praying this thing for three, four, five years and you've not answered this yet. And this is just something good, God, that we're asking for. We're not asking for something for our own benefit. This is something good that we want to see. And it's like in the midst of it, we start to realize, man, God's doing something in my heart. He's changing something. He's putting me in a position to where when I receive this, there's going to be even greater joy, even greater thanksgiving, even greater transformation. He's he's teaching me to develop my faith, to stretch my faith, to, to help me to believe for greater things. But it's that persistence in prayer that is the first key. And see, God, man, he wants to open these doors that's going to bring you into greater opportunity, that's going to bring you into greater revelation. He wants to bring our church into a greater vision, into a greater realm of his kingdom. I'm telling you right now, I know we come in here sometimes on Sundays and it seems like, well, you know, it's just the same old, same old, but we have got to begin to get a revelation of what God wants to do in our community and how he wants to use this church and understand that this church is, it's, it's, it's bigger than just us. And it's something that we're all coming together in corporately. We're all here for a purpose. And at the end of the day, it's so that we can reach this community. I'm telling you, God will bring us into open doors where we're going to start to reach more and more people. He will start to open doors for each of us as individuals and as a church where we can reach more and more people and we can advance his kingdom. And I'm telling you, there'll be a day when things just shift because we need to see breakthrough, man. We need to see breakthrough in deliverance, people getting set free. We need to see breakthrough in areas of healing. I'm talking about inner healing and physical healing. We need to meet in here on Sundays and there'll be a glory of God manifested, a presence of God manifested that when people just come in, The door of their hearts and and the door of faith is so opened that they cannot help but be convicted and turn their hearts to God. We need to see those doors open in our lives. I love what it says in Luke 21, verse 13 through 15. Because for some of you, here's the door that I want you to understand is that if you'll pray, most of us we don't, but if you'll pray, God will open doors for you And he will use you to bring salvation to people's lives. I know that's very simple and you're like, well, Clay, I know that. Give me some revelation. Give me something deep. Now, he is going to use you to bring salvation into a human being's life that otherwise would live an eternity in hell. You understand that? And he says this in Luke 21, and it's actually in the context of persecution. And I would venture to say, folks, that right now you're living in a day and age when it is easy for you to witness about Christ. 
You do it in clay can and a lot of times you'll get applauded for it. There's no persecution. We're coming into a time in our lives, in our generation, when we will suffer persecution for the things we say about Jesus. And I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. I'm a little bit excited about it. Somebody amen me this morning. Say, well, I'm not excited about it. I want to see the kingdom of God flourish. And the kingdom flourishes when there is pressure on the church. When there's no pressure, people don't come to church. If I got a sniffle, I stay home. You know what I'm saying? It's like when there's no pressure, we don't do anything. When there's no pressure, we don't feel the need to witness to anybody. We have this sense in our hearts that, well, everybody really knows Jesus at the end of the day. I'm telling you, they don't. People don't know Jesus. They're not experiencing his goodness. They are depressed. They are broken. They are shattered. And the church is currently far more focused on the things of the world and what's going on in their own lives than lives of people who don't know Christ. And I don't want that to be a word that puts this heavy burden on you because ultimately the yoke that we carry is easy and the burden of Christ is light, but our minds must be renewed that the burden we do carry is the salvation of the souls of the people that are lost in this world. It's a light burden. Jesus will help you to carry it, but it still remains a burden that is upon us. And we have to carry it. So he says this, he said it's going to be an opportunity. And right now I'm just, I want to prophesy this over people this morning. That there's going to be moments, if you will pray and open your heart, that it will turn to you for a testimony. I feel like, yeah, it's like right now, I I I just sense that there's going to be moments in people's lives in the coming weeks, in the coming months, that if you'll take this word to heart and you'll use the key that God is giving you and you'll be open, he's going to open doors for you and you're going to know the moment because it's going to turn to you for a testimony. And God says, you listen, I love what he says in the next verse. He says, you don't even have to meditate beforehand what you shall say. You don't even have to think about what you shall say. He said, because in that moment, I will give you a mouth Wisdom in a mouth that none of your adversaries will be able to contradict or resist. That's awesome, isn't it? Luke 12, 12 says the same thing. Essentially, he says, you don't even have to think about what you should say before because he says, in that hour, the Holy Spirit shall teach you what to say. And it's going to turn to you. But will you believe God for that kind of thing? Get out of your mind. I don't know the word well enough. I'm not trained in how to witness to people. Open your mouth and start to talk about Jesus. Open your mouth and start to share with what he's done in your life. I know it's difficult. I don't enjoy doing it myself, but every time I do it, I feel the peace of God because I know God has opened a door in somebody's life. Seed has been sown and lives are about to be transformed because of it. Amen. See, we need these open doors. In in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, here's what you need to understand is that sometimes we don't have open doors. Sometimes we have closed doors. There are closed doors that come sometimes in our life. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes when we get very discontent, y'all ever just been super discontent and you're like, Lord, I need an open door. Open a door for me. I've been that way. Sometimes I've been that way in ministry. I'm like, God, I don't know about this. Open a door for me. Open a door for me. And I've sought other doors. I've tried to kick doors in. You know what I'm talking about? I've went around, put in applications, done all kinds of things. I try to kick doors, try to bust it. I, I even pull out a crowbar, you know what I'm saying, a spiritual crowbar. I try to wedge this thing open, God, and try to get in there. It's going to be a good thing. And it looks like a very good thing. And even sometimes it seems like all the stars are aligning. And you're just like, man, that's God right there. And then all of a sudden, that door is slammed right in your face. And you spend about two weeks angry, upset, wondering, God, what in the world just happened? 
And he said, son, that's a closed door. I said, well, why is that a closed door? He said, because I'm the one who has the key of David who opens doors that no man can shut. And even if a man were to try to open a door that I don't want you going through because it's against my will, I will shut that thing. You can pry it open if you want to and I'll slam it right in your face last minute. And you know what I say? I say, well, Lord, I'm kind of dumb, so I appreciate that. I don't know where to go all the time. I don't know what to do all the time. So I trust you for a good closed door every now and then. And some of you, you're discontent. You're looking for an open door. And God is saying, do you realize that the reason these doors are not opening is because I want you to grow where you're at? I want you to grow where you're at. I've said, God, I need a lot of open doors. Man, I need things to happen. And God is saying, Clay, you need to grow where you're at. You need to take time to let me grow you where you're at because you see all these 20 doors you've tried to kick in and how they've all been shut. It's because I don't want you going there. I've got you right where I need you. And sometimes the best place you can be is right there where God needs you, where every other door is shut and you need to quit trying to kick doors in. At the right time, if you'll focus on God and you'll pray and you'll worship and you'll give him praise and thanksgiving, at the right time, even when man can't open doors, he will open doors that are supernatural and say, now there's the door, walk through it. It's about timing. Where are you at in your life? It's about timing. He wants to open the doors. But look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. It even happened when they're trying to minister the gospel. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. I'm thinking, God, you're going to forbid them to preach the word? And he said, yeah, because I got them going somewhere else to preach the word because it's about timing. It's about timing. And if they were to jump the gun and just kick that door in because they think it's a good thing, they may go over there and get killed. Next verse says, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. I'm going to tell you something. If the Spirit is not permitting you to do something that looks good, it's probably for a very good reason. Amen. There are closed doors, there are open doors. Uh, verse, chapter 16, verse 14, look at this. Chapter 16, verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. Now notice the key there. She worshipped God. She wasn't sure about Christ, but she worshipped God. You know that there are people in our world. There's a book that was written, uh, uh, Eternity in Their Hearts, and it was about this missionary who he's went, he's went several places and he finds tribes that are worshipping God, but they don't know his name and when he preaches Jesus they say that's the God we've been worshiping this whole time we just didn't have a name for it you believe that that's awesome but it says she worshiped God and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul listen to me folks there are people that are lost that are broken that are messed up and their salvation is waiting for your prayers and your intercession Will you intercede for people? Will you ask God to open their hearts so that they'll be able to listen to and understand the things that are going to be spoken to them? That he opened their hearts. Man, we got teachers and, 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 and I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, I, I don't know, I almost, feel, I almost feel like I just want to talk to people this morning because we've got people, we got people in government in here. We got people, tons of school teachers in here. And I know that I know that on a lot of levels, you can't just come out blatantly and stand up in the middle of everybody and start preaching Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, repent. But I'm telling you, God is going to give you strategy and wisdom in a mouth that none of your adversaries will be able to contradict or resist. 
And he'll give you an open door that even in many situations, you're going to be protected. And you're going to have a boldness to know this is the door that I'm taking because I'm no longer listening to man. Even if the government or this or that says that I can't do this or that, ultimately I am living for Christ because he is the head. Let me tell you something, folks. Our allegiance at the end of the day is not to America or its government. Our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm a patriot, son. I'm for America. I pray good things. I elect good people. I pray. I, I vote good people in. But America is not my God, and I do not plead, pledge my allegiance to a nation. I pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ. He is Lord. And ultimately, I'm going to follow the laws of the land. But when the laws of the land begin to contradict what the, the commandment that Jesus Christ has given me, the word of God says, is it better to obey man or obey God? Which one am I going to obey? At the end of the day, I understand. But see, God says, don't worry because you're going to come before rulers. You're going to come before people. And it's going to turn to you for a testimony, but I will give you wisdom and a mouth. I'll give you wisdom and a mouth. And some of you are getting set up in these places. And I'm not saying you got to be crazy, but you're going to have wisdom and a mouth. And you're going to be able to speak just the right thing at the right time. And young people's hearts are going to be opened. Other people's hearts are going to be open. People in power and influence are going to be, their hearts are going to be open to Christ. Things are going to happen. Somebody say amen, receive that this morning. Receive that for yourself, that you go out, that this begins to happen, that these doors are open. Don't give up on intercession. Now, in, in chapter 16, two verses later, verse 16, you see, start seeing a lot of open doors. Go back to verse 16, please. Um, is it not in there? Basically what it says Basically what it says in chapter 16, verse 16, is that now Paul was going into another place and he came to this woman who had a spirit of divination. And this woman was going around following Paul and Silas and these guys as they were preaching. And it says she was possessed with a spirit of div divination and she was fortune telling. And she would say things like, these, these men be the men of the most high God who come to proclaim to you the way of salvation. I'm like, man, that's good theology. If that woman's following me, I'm like, hey, amen, listen to her. She's telling you right. We're men of God. We're preaching the way of salvation. But she's filled with a demonic spirit. And for several days she does this, the scripture says, until finally Paul is greatly annoyed. Sometimes devils will annoy you. Do you know that there's many things in this world that look like God or even out of their mouth it sounds like God, but it's not God? Amen. Even happens in church sometimes. That's so why discernment is important. It sounds like God, but it distracts everybody from God. Right? It sounded like God, but it was distracting everybody from what God was actually doing. And so finally, Paul was greatly annoyed, and on about the third or fourth day, he turned, and he looked to it, and he, and he commanded the Spirit to come out of her, and that Spirit left her, Scripture says. Now all of her masters got upset because they were out of money. And they're like, oh man, we lost, our, or we lost this ability to make money. So they got all the magistrates and everybody together and the magistrates were talking about it. And, and they said, man, we need, these guys are Jews. They come in here teaching us stuff as Romans that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be hearing and all this. And they said, we need to beat them with rods. So they started whipping them with rods. Beat them on their backs, which is always fun for preaching the gospel. And then he says, now I want you to throw them into prison. So they threw them into an inner prison. Now, if you read commentary on this, the inner prison is actually underneath the prison and the prisoners would defecate and urinate down into the bottom in the inner prison. So it wasn't that great of a place. It smelt a little bit. Amen. They were down in the inner prison, but not only that, they, their, their feet were fastened in stocks 
But here's what it says in verse 26 when they were in there. It says, now at midnight, I love this, at midnight, you put verse 26 up there for me. Verse 16, verse 26. I'll go to it. Got it? Okay, so suddenly it says, now there was a great earthquake. Now the, the verse before this, actually says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Notice that? At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Think about that. They're in a center prison with their feet fastened in stocks, and at midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now I want you to understand this. When we come in here on Sunday mornings, there are some people that are bound up, and it's good when the prisoners begin to listen to our praise. You understand what I'm saying? When we come in here to this worship night, there are going to be people that are bound up next Sunday night. And I'm telling you something, you guys don't understand it because, well, you know, we only do things when it's comfortable for us. Do you realize that even when we have something like a worship night, you coming in here and just saying, you know what, I need to be there because I need to lift my voice with the body of Christ. Not, well, I got a lot of other stuff to do and Monday's coming. I'm being harsh this morning, aren't I? I need to calm down. I need to lift my voice because there's going to be prisoners listening. And those prisoners, when they start to hear praise, something's going to happen in their heart. Something's going to happen in their heart spiritually. And it says the prisoners were listening. And what you got to understand is that tribulation comes to refine you. They're in a difficult time. If, now, I got to be honest with you. If this was me, if I was preaching the gospel, and I, and I even hear stories of this. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm going all over the world for Jesus Christ. And then I go and preach the gospel. And not only that, I set a girl free and cast the devil out of somebody. And I cast the devil out of somebody. And next thing I know, they throw me in prison and I got pee and poop all around me. Pardon my language. I mean, I, but, but if I'm down there, what am I going to do? Last, probably I'm not going to pray. I'm, I'm going to be like him on the inside. I'm going to be like, God, what in the world is going on? I've been preaching the gospel. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do, and nothing right is happening. That's what we do as Christians. That is what we do. Man, I've been coming to church. I've even been praying for two weeks. I went to two prayer meetings, and nothing seems to be going right. Do you know that tribulation is going to come to test you sometimes? And, and God is coming and Satan is trying to shut you up and many times he does a very good job at it. Many times he does a very good job at shutting your mouth just because a little bit of tribulation comes. These men are in prison. They said, boys, our feet are fastened. We're in these stocks. He said, Silas, what about we pull out the old prayer book? They said, well, we ain't got one. He said, well, never mind. It don't matter because we got the word hidden in our heart. We got the Psalms memorized because we've been singing them since we were little boys. And they begin to pray and sing hymns out loud at midnight in their prison because they knew that God was greater than their circumstances. Then it began to move on the inside of them. And as they begin to sing these praises, there's a, the key of David was released. Now, there's a lot of scholars. I read some commentary on this. And the scholars said that most likely they could have been singing Psalms 113 through 118 because these were the Pascal Psalms, they say. You know, all these scholars, they don't know what Psalms they're singing. They're just making a guess. But it's the Hallelujah Psalms, the ones that say, Praise ye the Lord at the end. But another guy said that he believes they were actually singing Psalm 119, verse 61 through 62, because he said they had the Psalms memorized and this would have come to their heart. And it says, Psalms 119 verse 61 the cords of the wicked have bound me they would have been singing this in Psalm 
but I've not forgotten your law. Next verse says, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. See, they rose at midnight because of your righteous judgments. And they begin to sing the words of David out loud in that prison. The key of David, praising God in difficult circumstances. What you're going to find out about David is he went through some hard times, some messed up times where things weren't going as expected, where doors were closed, where things weren't going well. But every single time what you see is that he begins to come to God and lift up his prayer and lift up his word to the Lord and begin to praise God. And all of a sudden a key is unlocked. And what it says in verse 20, 26 is that suddenly all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. I believe that prayer and praise opens doors and looses chains. All the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. And I'd ask you, what kind of doors need to be opened in your life? What kind of doors need to be shut? What kind of chains need to be loosed? You need to bring that to God and begin to thank Him, to begin to pray, to begin to give Him praise for what He's going to do. And all of these men, the, the, the jailer comes up because he realizes that all the chains are loose and he's about to kill himself. And Paul stops him and says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're not gone. We're all here. And this man realizes that something supernatural has happened and he falls down at Paul's feet and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, there's an open door now into this man's heart. And all of a sudden, Paul just says, look, all you got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And not only that, your household is going to be saved. So they took him back to the house and this jailer began to clean their wounds. They shared the gospel with him. And that night, Paul baptized the jailer and all of his family in water. And they were all saved and gave their life to the Lord. And they began to rejoice. God opened doors in the midst of some of the most difficult and the worst situations. And I'm telling you, a lot of times your difficult situation, if you can believe correctly, is an opportunity for an open door to God, for God to do something miraculous. It's an opportunity for God to do something miraculous. When David was in trouble, he would sing praise to God and God would turn the key and new doors would open. In Acts 15, I want you to read this prophecy with me. It's almost a little bit unrelated, but it's kind of related. Acts 15, James, the leader of the church in Israel, is talking with all the apostles because they're going out and preaching the gospel. Tons of people are getting saved. And he reads this prophecy out of the book of Amos, and he says, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, what were we saying about the tabernacle of David? It was a tabernacle where there was what? 24-7 worship and praise. The tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. You know who that is? That's us. Says the Lord who does all these things. Now, what is he saying? This is a prophecy about the fact that even in our day right now, if you look throughout church history, do you know that for the longest time, like they wouldn't even use instruments? The tabernacle of David, David used instruments, did it not? Yeah, they had instruments. He said, praise the Lord on this, uh, with the timbrel and with the dance and with all these different things. And for a long time in the church, all that went away. The tabernacle of David fell down. Praise and worship was very misunderstood. For the most part, it became very liturgical. People would remain seated. They would just kind of sing very ritualistically and there wasn't much to it. And then in our generation, it started to shift in about the 70s and all of a sudden there was a shift in music. And when it started to happen, the religious people actually said that it was demonic. Say, well, the drums are demonic. The guitar is demonic. Because religious people are going to call anything godly demonic a lot of times. That's just what they do. Amen. 
And so the, the, something started to shift, though. Why? Because God is rebuilding the tabernacle of David in our generation. What does that mean? That means that people are beginning to understand the power of worship and praise. They're beginning to understand that worship and praise changes things. It opens doors. And right now, in our generation, there are many churches, and it's popping up everywhere, and it's growing, that they have 24-7 prayer, praise, and worship going on at all times. Around the globe right now, there's always somebody praying. There's always somebody giving praise to God. There's always somebody worshiping. And there's this outbreak of a shift in what praise and worship really looks like and what it means. Why? Because there's a direct connection with what is going on in praise and worship and Gentiles, souls that are lost, coming to know Jesus Christ. Amen. If we understand that, that's going to push us into a deeper level of praise and worship. But we're talking about the key of David. I'm about to to, to wrap this up, to sum it up, I want you to understand something about David. He was about 14, 13, 14, 15 years old when he wrote Psalm 23 that we had two weeks ago, most likely. And he was a lonely boy in a, in, in a field. He was shepherding his sheep. He was all alone. His family, matter of fact, when they called for, for Samuel called to anoint one of his brothers to be king, he had like seven brothers and he was just left out in the field. They didn't even bring him in. He said, Jesse, bring your boys in. And they just left David out in the field because they, they, they thought, well, surely he's not the king. So we won't even call him in. He's outcast by his family. He's all alone, but he's got nothing other than to do than to learn how to praise God. And sometimes the best place you can be is broken and alone with nobody else but God. And he begins to learn how to sing and he starts to sing these praises unto God. You know, even this week as I've been preaching this, I've been reading the Psalms. Every, I'll get up some days and I'm just like you. I'm a human being. Some days I get up, I feel depressed. There's a battle raging in my mind. I have no hope in certain areas. I'm broken and I begin to open the Psalms. I read Psalm 5 this week. He says, you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. It sounded real weird, but when I was in my shower, I started singing that in some kind of weird cadence. You know what I'm talking about? And if anybody had been listening, they'd have said, that sounds awful, Clay. You need to quit singing. But guess what? I wasn't doing it for none of y'all. I was doing it for God in the secret place. And all of a sudden, my spirits began to be lifted. I felt just something surround me. And I realized and knew that I was being surrounded with favor like a daggone shield because I was lifting my voice to the Lord. Then I was giving him praise. See, David had that in his heart, man. He knew these things were happening. He would say things like in Psalm 16, verse 11. He said, you will show me me the path of life at your right hand he said he said in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore psalm 27 he said one thing i will desire of the lord that will i seek after that i may behold the beauty of the lord to inquire in his temple to dwell in his house all the days of my life he began to sing these things, man. And it got in his heart and it connected him with God. And all of a sudden things begin to open up. When we come in here on Sunday mornings, we're not just trying to get through three songs so we can continue the service. We're lifting our voices to God because we believe that when we come together with one heart and we start to sing that things are going to break, things are going to change. And the more of your heart that gets into it is the more of God that is going to invade our lives. He inhabits the praises of his people, David said. David understood that. David understood that even though God lived in a place called heaven, when he lifted his voice and sing, God said, no longer will I live in heaven. I will inhabit your praises. I don't know about you, but that gets me fired up. That means I can be in my shower and I can start to lift a praise and God starts to get right there in the shower with me. You know what I'm talking about? He starts to say, I'm right here with you. 
I'm strengthening you. Something's going on. That's the key of David. That's the key of David. And David would sing and God saw his heart. So God opened the door for him and he anointed him king over Israel. He poured oil. Samuel, the prophet, poured oil on his head in the midst of his brethren. There was an open door and he says, you're going to be the king of Israel. He's a teenage boy. The spirit of the Lord comes upon him. David starts playing the harp with power. He would play the harp. Man, I pray this over our musicians and over our worship team. They play the harp and demons flee. They just pluck one note on that guitar. I believe David, you know, he probably played that sitar or whatever. Probably sound like, bling, ding, 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 ding. Something like that. I heard Anthony up here this morning. You know, at the end, he was just got just a couple little notes right there. I said, man, that's just like one of them David notes right there. I bet a demon just shuddered right under the power right there with that note play. I believe that. When there's a heart, it says that David, he was a, if you read it in the, it says in your Bible, he was a skillful player. In the Hebrew, it says he was a yada player. It meant that he was a knowing player, which meant that while he was playing, he was one with God. While he was playing, he knew, he knew God. Isn't that amazing? While we're singing, we're knowing God. All of a sudden, when that happens, demons start to flee. Depression starts to lift. Things start to break. Some of y'all, you're dealing with depression. You're dealing with anxiety. I, 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 I beg you. I know it, it's heavy. But you know that the scripture says that God will give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But you have to put that garment on. And when that heaviness is on you, you've got to open your mouth. You've got to start to praise God and sing out loud. And if you have to, you dance right in your living room and shake that devil off and say, I'm not letting you stay on me anymore because God's got too much good for my life. And he wants to set me free. And I'm going to use the key of David. And I'm going to open a new door in my life. And I'm going to come into joy. And I'm going to come into peace. And I'm going to come into freedom. I'm going to resist this. It's spiritual warfare to praise God. Now, David... As if that wasn't bad enough, you know that David became king at the age of 30, even though he was anointed at the age of 15. Can you imagine somebody saying, hey, you're going to be king. God's anointed you. And then 15 years later, you're still not king. That would mess me up too. You know, I've got, got words that have been given to me and they've not come to pass yet. And I think, well, Lord, here I am, been waiting. He always reminds me, you know, David did wait 15 years after I actually anointed him king. I said, hey, you're king, but you're not king for 15 years. God anoints him. And listen, when after, after God anointed David king, the actual king, King Saul, starts chasing him around, trying to kill him, throwing spears at him, chasing him down like a hunted man. David's out in the wilderness running away, or away from Saul, trying to preserve his life and save his life. He is confused. He's rejected. They used to sing songs about David, but now all of Israel looks at David as a rejected man. They look at, at David as an enemy of the state. Everybody's saying, well, David, he's broke the law. He's out here in the middle of nowhere doing crazy stuff, and, and he's totally rejected. I would think again, I, I would be like, God, this is, why'd you even anoint me king if this is what you're going to give me? Just going to let me be chased down by a man? They're going to probably end up killing me. And, and get this, in Psalm, in Psalm 34, here's, here's where I'm going to finish, but in Psalm 34, if you read in your Bibles, in Psalm 34, there's an introduction, and at the introduction of the psalm, it says this is a psalm of David when he had pretended madness before Abimelech, who ended up driving him away, and he went to the cave of Agilom. Now, if you read in 
first or yeah, first Samuel chapter 21, what ends up happening is Saul is chasing David. So David is fleeing and he's like, man, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I got no place to call home. So he says, I'll go to the king of Gath. Do you know who the king of Gath is? That was the king of Goliath who he cut his head off. I'd be like, David, that's a bad choice. You just cut that dude's warrior's head off and now you're going there. But he doesn't know where else to go. So he goes to the king of Gath and once he gets to the door, he realizes, oh no, maybe this is a bad idea. So This is in the Bible. So he literally says, all right, what am I going to do? And he starts acting like a madman. He starts foaming out of his mouth and scribbling at the door like this. And the king says, no, don't let that guy in. He says, that dude looks crazy. Don't, turn him, don't let him in here. So David took opportunity, since they didn't kill him, to run. And it says that he went to a cave called Agilom. Okay? Now imagine what you would do. You're in self-pity. You're rejected. Nobody believes in your calling. You're downcast. You got nobody. You've been kicked out of your home. You can't stay in Israel because you get killed. And if anybody brings you in, they'll kill that family. You got nobody to stay with. So he goes to a cave called Agilom, and in 1 Samuel 20, 20, uh, 22, verse 1 and 2, if you'll read, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Agilom. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Now this is a picture of the church. Because Agilom literally means a refuge or a hiding place. And it says that everyone who was in debt, everyone who was distressed, and everybody who was discontented came to David, who was a picture of Jesus Christ, in that tent. Do you all realize that the church of Jesus Christ is a refuge, it's a hiding place? And there are many people who are in debt, they're distressed, and they're discontented. And they can come in here and they can find refuge. And when they come in, they can meet Jesus Christ, it says that there were about 400 men and David became a captain over them all because Jesus, see, he's our captain, isn't he? And a lot of us, we're probably in debt. We're in distress. We're discontented. These 400 men gathered together because they're looking for somebody. And when they come into this cave, see, it says that David wrote Psalm 34 while he was in this cave when these men just showed up. So here, I want you to get this picture in your mind. You're reading this psalm. I, you gotta, sometimes you got to imagine these things. David is in this cave. He'd been chased. Everything's going terrible. 400 men here, he's down there. They show up to that cave. They said, we need a refuge too, man. We need a hiding place. What are we going to do? And David is sitting there in this cave. I imagine he's sitting down there just sort of looking at the ground, maybe just got kind of rubbing his head, wondering what to do. And all of a sudden, something happens on the inside of his heart. And he begins to sing and something begins to happen. And in Psalm, Psalm 34, here's what it says. The very first thing that comes out of his mouth while these 400 men are looking at him to, for influence, for guidance. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. See, even in his, even in his worst time, he makes the declaration that I will bless the Lord at all times. In good times, in bad times, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. And his praise will continually, without ceasing, be in my mouth. He says, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord, the humble 
humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He starts to sing this to these men who are in debt and in distress and discontented. He's saying, listen, guys, come on and just magnify the Lord together with me. I know y'all are broken and messed up too. I got no idea what to do, but I know one thing we can do. We can begin to use the key and start to praise the Lord and give thanks for his goodness right in the midst of this trouble. He says, magnify the name of the Lord together with me. And he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Somebody say amen to that. All my fears he delivered me from. And then he says, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. He's saying these men that surrounded me, he said they were in debt, they were outcast, they were distressed, they were discontented, nothing was going for them. But all of a sudden their faces that were downcast, their faces that were broken and sad and depressed because of what they were going through, they looked to the Lord and began to sing with David and all of a sudden he saw their countenance shift, their face changed and their face became radiant because they began to praise the Lord. You ever notice that on people? That their face actually changes when their heart is fixed on Jesus. Their eyes look different. Something changes when a heart is fixed on Jesus. And he says, this poor man, this guy over here sitting in the corner cried out too, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. You know, Jesus translated the word fear whenever he was tempted in the wilderness. He translated the word fear to worship when he quoted scripture from the Old Testament. And he said, fear ultimately is the worship of God. In other words, he's saying that when you begin to worship the Lord, angels are listening and they're attracted to your worship. And when you are worshiping God, that's why sometimes me and Andrea, if we, we'll leave worship just playing in the living room. I'm not kidding you. We'll leave the house and rather than turning it off, we'll just let the worship play in the house. Why? Because I believe that angels encamp round about those who worship the Lord and he delivers them. And I believe there's angels all in my house and all around my house because it's a house of worship. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those who worship the Lord and saves them out of all of their troubles and delivers them. And then he says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. In other words, I know you boys have tasted a lot of different things. You've tasted a lot of different pleasures. You've tried a lot of different things. But I think now you realize where it's led you. It's led you to a place of brokenness. And right now, if you would taste and see, you'd find out that the Lord is good that he can bring you out of this, that he can bring deliverance. And it says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There's no want to those who worship him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's saying, you want to see many good days? I know some of y'all. Let me tell you something. Scripturally, the Bible says that there is an evil day, singular. We should, every now and then we're going to have a bad day, aren't we? But we actually get to choose how we respond to a bad day. We don't just react to a bad day and say, well, golly, this is awful, this is terrible, everything's horrible. You just reacted and you let the devil in because you, because you responded pitifully. We're going to have bad days, but how you respond is everything. And the scripture actually teaches that there is an evil day, but for Christians, there are many good days. You see the difference. We're going to have some bad days, but my, my, my point to you is, is if every day of your life is a bad day, something's wrong. God is saying you need to get your, 
your heart fixed on me, you need to come into a place of prayer, praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Because if every day is bad, something's wrong. You need to get your heart back centered on me. You know, I taste and see that the Lord is good. I know there's been pain. I know there's been trouble. But I'm not done with you yet. And I can change your heart. I can heal your heart. I can bring things back into order. I can restore the things that have been broken. He says, if you want to see many good days, keep your lips from speaking evil. Watch what's coming out of your mouth. You'll start to see many good days when your heart and your mouth aligns with praises and thanksgiving and worship to God because no matter how bad it's going for you in your life, I guarantee you this, you got something to be thankful for. You got something to be thankful for. You've got Jesus who's walking with you, who's teaching you. You got the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who's growing you and changing you. And He's going to use you to do amazing things. He's going to open doors for you that no man can shut. He's going to shut doors for you that no man can open. He's going to grow you. He's going to open doors for you to speak into people's lives. And you're going to get to see the fruit reaped of somebody's life being changed. Not because of how awesome you are, but because of how good Jesus is and you chose to put Him in your mouth. And speak His Word. And He's going to open those doors for you. Amen? I'm going to close with this last thing. The key of David, like we said, it's worship, it's prayer, it's praise, it's, it's repentance, it's brokenness before God, it's, it's thanksgiving, it's all these things. But you know, when David, he finally, now at the age of 30, after he fought many battles, was anointed king. He was the king over Judah in Hebron for about seven years. And a lot of the kingdom was still under the rule of some Jebusites. And he said, boys, now I'm king. I got to go in and I got to take Zion. And it's going to be my capital. But the problem with Zion was, is that it was a fenced in place and they, they considered it an impregnable fortress. Nobody could get in. And the Jebusites said, there ain't no way y'all getting in here. You ain't going to take this, David. And David talked to his man, Joab. He said, Joab, I know a way we can get in. Will you volunteer? And Joab said, absolutely, king, I'm going to volunteer. He went in through the water shaft up under the ground. And he went in and got in from the inside. And when he got in from the inside, he found the key and he unlocked the gate. And David and his army stormed the city because Joab went in and got the key from the inside and unlocked the gate from the inside. Let me tell you something. Every single one of us, we were locked out from the kingdom of heaven because of our sin and because of our brokenness. And Jesus Christ took on flesh and died on the cross. And he went into the inside of death, hell, and the grave. And he took the key from Satan from death and from hell and he opened it up from the inside and when he did that he fought with our with his blood our salvation and he said now all of you all can enter into the kingdom and you can storm the gates of hell because all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me and now I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and if you will put praise on your mouth and prayer in your lips and put the word of God in your heart and you will seek my face you will lack no good thing you're going to taste and see that the Lord is good I'm going to deliver you from all of your fears I'm going to set things in order and doors are going to be opened and you're going to find out that I've called you for a greater purpose than you ever imagined. This is the key of David. This is the key of David. I want you to stand to your feet with me. I know some of you, you're dealing with different things. I want to, I want to pray for people right now. If you just bow your head with me. Right now, there are people that are dealing with just depression and, and, and these types of things and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you 
Right now, I want you to begin to lift your prayer to the Lord and just, and just say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with depression, I'm wondering if this situation in, in my family is going to shift, I'm wondering if these things are going to change, but right now, I'm just praying, God, and I'm asking you to begin to change things, to begin to move in my life, and just begin to lift your praise to Him, because your praise is what's going to start to break those chains and unlock those doors. So Lord, we just magnify your name in this place this morning, Jesus. We magnify your name above sickness above death, above destruction. And we declare that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that you are Lord. So we confess that you are Lord over every situation. And right now, God, we believe that you are healer, that you are deliverer, that you are delivering people from their fears, from their brokenness, from their depression, from their anxiety. You are setting things in order. And Lord, we believe that right now you're opening the right doors for us. You're putting your spirit and moving in our hearts so that the doors will be open, God, for us to accomplish your will. We trust you, Lord. We believe you. I pray, God, right now that you just move in people's hearts. God, you strengthen them in the name of Jesus. Listen, what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song. We're going to worship the Lord. I want everybody, if you will, to worship God as we close, to give him praise to lift up his voice, to lift up your voice to the Lord and let him begin to move. And if you need prayer for anything, for anything at all, this altar is open for you to come and pray to the Lord yourself.